Doug, cats and kittens. We are back with another very special self-quarantine stay-at-home episode of the Brando Cast. Holy fucking shit. My guest today, he's a writer, he's a comic, he's the co-host of arguably the biggest podcast on the planet Earth, The Dollop. Fucking A, goddamn Jesus Christ. We He's got guest. <laughs> Hello. It is time. I wasn't sure how to return and let everyone know that I'm now deciding who can go to heaven and not, but I thought Brendan always seemed super chill when I'd heard him on other stuff, so I thought, well, just do it here. Jesus, I am so, I am just so grateful that you've chosen this I, little podcast you, to come yes, back. I thought you, I'll be honest, I thought when you said the dollop, I thought there's bigger shows, but I, the me, media will pick this up, I hope. <laughs> well, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Lucky me, Gareth Reynolds. Holy hey. fucking shit, it's Gareth Reynolds. Hey, Brendan, how are you? Are you wearing a Boise State hoodie? I am. I am. I uh, when the shit when when the shit was hitting the fan the first time the shit hit the fan from the pandemic like the initial when we were like whoa there's shit in the fan as opposed to now when we're like turn that fan on whatever a little shit will get on the walls who cares um, I lost my mind and I was like I don't want to live in like busy L A um, and so I moved to Boise for one year. And uh, and I did a couple dates towards the end after I was, you know, vaxxed up. I did a couple of dates at the end. And so I one day forgot my hoodie in the airport and I bought this hoodie. And the woman was like, when you wash it, wash it inside out. And I was like, you're not going to hear that at LAX. You're, nobody's going to give you like, here's how to care for your airport garment. And uh, <laughs> and so, so so I have a Boise. OK, a Boise quick, statehood. quick, quick tangent. Uh, LAX is loaded with Super Bowl 50 blah, blah, blah sweatshirts right now. Because I was oh, just, God. I just walked through there. Uh, that's where you want to get your hoodie. Um, but, sure. but two, you're what? not a fan unless you pay twice what the actual rate is. That's, uh, yeah. What? And what militia did you join when you were up in Idaho? Well, I mean, the, it was an embarrassment of riches, honestly. I, uh, I kind of treated it like I was the bachelor and I would sort of be like, Boogaloo boys, we had a lot of fun, but unfortunately, I don't think I can have you meet my family just yet. I'm sorry. I'll walk you out, all 30 of you. Jesus, you don't have to go through the window. Guys, this is a, a house. That's You need to pitch that show, by the way. You, you really need... The Boogaloo Bachelor. You know, I feel like hgtv paramount some of that stuff is a little I think it's, it's a little uh, right it's a little paramount, right leaning paramount's right? our spot paramount's <laughs> okay. our spot paramount they need plus. content paramount yeah. plus and if it's a hit then that'll just be there that'll be they'll be like we're going in an alt-right direction just that seems where the heat is for us so we're doing that sort of comedy oh but i can really see proud boys boogaloo boys oath keepers yeah. uh, three percenters all vying for you to join their cause three uh, percent you've taken a hundred percent of my <laughs> heart i'm joining you you would look good in a hawaiian shirt though <laughs> i'll tell you i do i'm not gonna lie i do it's unfortunate my cross to bear which brings us back to our original guest oh holy christ this is gonna be a barn burner i can tell um jesus christ i'm so excited to talk to you uh you and i uh we don't we do not know each other well although i know who you are i know your manager I know your career. I know your your life partner, Dave Anthony, who's mm -hmm. been on this podcast a few times. But my uh, husband, 
<laughs> comedy husband. Your comedy husband. Uh, up there, you know, in his weird little bunker in Palmdale, wherever the fuck he's living, <laughs> Lancaster. Duarte. <laughs> Duarte. Um, Duarte. But uh, you and I were recently... Uh, a guest on our dear friend Arden Marine's bachelor-themed podcast. Yes. So my question to you, sir, have you kept up with the franchise since you were a guest on our show? The only re- I don't know if I could relate this. To- it's it's a testament to how much I enjoy and like Arden that I only reason I watch the show is to do her podcast. Outside of, I mean, it is, and I watch some things that I do not like, but. It is the one thing where I'm going, Jesus, the whole time I'm going, this is just for God's sake. I'm just mad, you know, and then I get and then it's what it's how it works. It always works. They, they hook you very. It's a very smooth. Tra- it's almost cultish. It's just like all of a sudden you're like, why are we drinking blood? And it just started so simple. And it's so it sort of just like starts with like, all right, yeah, there's some wacky people entering like ah, this guy's in a bathtub. That's kind of good. And then all of a sudden it's just like, well, she's got to pick Brian. He's the what? You know, and you're like, how did I get here? Um, but I have been keeping up with it. I've I, there was not one uh, it's just a pathetic thing to say, but there wasn't a new one this week, was there? <laughs> I don't I've given up. You quit. I, I, I have. I have. Official- oh, even when we did the show, you weren't like yeah. you weren't at. Yeah, right. Smart. No, I you quit. Found a nice way. Yeah, I, I quit. I participated for too long. I used to watch it with friends. We would, you know, share yeah. some adult beverages and some other controlled substances. Sure. And make fun of the show. Do Ramming bits. lines of coke, watching the bad show. We've all been there. It's my favorite show to get railed to. Just yeah, I'm all gacked up watching the Bachelor. But and I. I had a couple. I knew some people that were uh, we we knew a kid who worked on the show. Okay, uh, so we had some like inside baseball intel on oh, what nice. was what was going on. I mean, drunken fucking craziness, like crazy bullshit on set because uh, they're all hammered the whole time. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, I get that would make sense. I I mean, I, like I do dry January, and it is you are just like life is not exciting during a pandemic. During a, there's not a lot to fill your time with. Like you, a lot of times you'll be like, oh, just go do this, you know, do this sort of. Now you're just like, man, I just like look at a wine rack like twenty days, baby. <laughs> um, but she she sometimes has uh, some of those tips too. She'll have a little insider tip here and there. I mean, yeah. But she it, cares about it. I no longer care about I it. I cannot <laughs> will myself to care about it. I cannot. I'm just like, I don't know how. It's the same. I mean, it's the same every time where they're just like, I don't know if you're here for me. It's like, I'm really starting to almost fall in love with you. He's like, that's the right way to say that to me. You're just like, man, this is just season 50. Yeah. Well, you know, the great thing for me is when you look back, uh, none of the couples make it. None. None, 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 none couples a make few, it. But right, a few. But it's amazing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right. I heard the last one, or like a couple ago, they broke up because they got into an argument at the New York City Marathon. And I'm like, it's just, I mean, <laughs> you know, like, oh, I, I know found that. the one. And then it's like, you know, fuck you, Brian. Get out of here. You don't tell me to move faster. It's like, wow, it doesn't seem like you were You were supposed to be soulmates. on Fifth Avenue with a fucking bottle of Gatorade. You missed it. <laughs> I'm still day drinking because of my addiction from The Bachelor. Oh, hot people problems. I, I don't care. Don't care about hot people problems. You know what I mean? Yeah. One of those shows you feel real old watching. <laughs> It'd just be nice to get me in the mix for an episode, though. Just like, a, you know, they're all like 28. Just have me be like, look, 
I've done a lot of shit. I, <laughs> you're gonna. This is. I'm all upside to you. You're seeing the. This is me, warts and all, right now. These guys, they look pretty. They're gonna be me eventually. Well, I've been dying to produce the Bachelor Silver Lake, so you can be my season one guy. Bro, okay. Let, where, where, where? You know my manager. <laughs> Tell her the paperwork signed. Let's go. <laughs> right. It's gonna be twenty-eight men, women, and do I mix- look busy? <laughs> Let's go. Move to Boise. Let's go. That's right. That's a totally different show than the Bachelor, the Bachelor Boise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the Bachelor Cordelaine, which goes yeah. back to our original pitch. All right, the enough. Boogaloo Boise. That would be the name. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Mr. Reynolds is not here today, folks, to talk about the Bachelor. He is here today to talk about a band that we have not talked about on the Brando cast yet. We have referenced this band many times because I was insufferable during their entire run. So today, without further ado, we are going to do a deep dive into a little band called Nirvana. Nirvana was an American rock band formed in Aberdeen, Washington back in 1987. Founded by lead singer and guitarist Kurt Cobain and bassist Chris Novoselic, the band went through a succession of drummers in their early years before recruiting the king of Gen X, Dave Grohl, in 1990. Nirvana's success popularized alternative rock, and they were often referenced as the figurehead band of Generation X. Singer and guitarist Kurt Cobain and bassist Novoselic met while attending Aberdeen High School. The pair became friends while frequenting the practice space of local punk band The Melvins, and their first band, The Sellouts, was a Creedence Clearwater Revival tribute band. During its initial months, the band went through a series of names including Skid Row, Pencap Chew, and Ted Ed Fred. The group settled on Nirvana because, according to Cobain, I wanted a name that was kind of beautiful or nice and pretty instead of a mean, raunchy punk name like the Angry Samoans. Nirvana recorded its first demos in January of 1988. Sir, those are sort of some notes that I culled and edited from Wikipedia. Uh, so well, as we you go should along, get a medal here. for pronounce your perfect pronunciation of Chris Novoselic, which is, I mean, when they were around, people would be like, Chris Novoselic? <laughs> you know, it's like, bro. So you that you stuck the landing there. I well I you know again I I I was the perfect age for Nirvana. I was As already you know. living in L.A. when they when Nevermind hit. Uh, I was a punk rock kid. We knew they were coming. Uh, you know after Bleach came out, but uh, I had to go back to Google and then YouTube to hear a per- proper pronunciation of that dude's name because I well. would have fucked it up. Yeah, no, I remember that being a sticking point for me. I was like, it's Chris. I know they put Chris on an album, but it's got a T. Never mind. You're Chris oh, now. That's a good name for an album. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, so tell me, tell me why Nirvana for you? Well, it's a number of reasons. Um, yeah, there really is a convergence because the first was that I, I feel like I was also a very perfect age. I was probably, you know, I was an early teen when it really blew up and it just was at the right time where I was just like sick of, I mean, my, my parents are going through a divorce. There was just a lot of problems. And it was just like, this was, this was the piece, the plank of wood I could float to shore on. And, um, but the, and aside from the music speaking to me, there was 
I'll never forget the, I'll Benjamin button this. My brother came home one day. My brother's 12 years older than me, and he is a, um, he, he was in a band. He was, you know, 12 years older. He was in a, a pretty heavy band called Feck in Milwaukee, where I grew up. And um, he came home one day, and he turned on MTV, and he was so excited. And I was like, what's going on, you know? And he basically explained this band that he'd played with Nirvana was now had a single that was out and on MTV. And I was like, oh, shit. Now, he had given me Bleach, and I hadn't really listened to it. I'd listened to it a little bit, but I was, like, you know, very young. Um, and then that song came on, and I was watching him react, and I was... So, it, it, in retrospect, I really was, like, you know, there is something so profound because he was, like, there's a representative of us now out there. And, and I think that met, that felt that way to so many different people. So that was when I was, and then I'll be, he also was, you know, he, he had so much of their music and he, so he really just gave me like the in on the band. And then I guess like many others, I mean, it was just, the first album was just so different and it was so amazing. And then I think I also emulated Kurt Cobain, but really understood the more I heard about him and the more that I could glean from the lyrics, even as mysterious as they are at times, you know, there was an angsty child who had kind of grown into this machine. And that was <clears throat> very much how I was feeling. So I felt that his roots were connecting to, to my branches, if you will. I was very like tethered to his murky message, I was like, I fucking get it. And and then it just, it never stopped, you know? Well, okay, first of all, the, the theme of the older sibling or the older friend who introduces Is us to Is this a big player? No, it's a huge, uh, th I think it's yeah. huge, it's like an important thing. We all yeah. need those characters in our life. You had that with your brother. That's so yes. fucking amazing. I know- My brother took my vanilla ice CD and <laughs> threw it out of my bedroom window. I swear to God, and he goes, you will thank me one day. I was like, Who, what the fuck is with this guy? And then I, I actually hit the age where I go, you were right. It's painful as I can admit now after 20 years, that was the right call. It was a bad album. Have you turned around and done that to somebody else yes, from their yes. vanilla ice CD well, out did, a window? I, I did it to a contemporary at like with a Creed, with Creed CD. Oh, good. I, I threw it out of a moving car window. And he was like, what? I go, this is, you will thank me. No, I'm not going to thank you. I'm pulling over. Get out of my fucking car. Um, that's amazing. I'll also say I want to hear about Milwaukee because I went to school in Chicago, which was a huge foundation for my punk rock, my love of punk rock. Uh, so from 86 to 90, I was going to all the clubs of Chicago to see early versions of Sonic Youth, the Pixies, Replacements, Husker Du's last show in Chicago. And we would go up to Madison all the time. Uh, mm -hmm. to see bands because that that had a really cool punk rock kind of scene the okay's corral was a great club there in madison and you know all the weird milwaukee bands like die kreutzen and slam and watusi so give me your teenage version of milwaukee um well one of the things about i mean i loved it i mean there was a lot of if you were an underage drinker in milwaukee you were like a known <laughs> felon like they the cops would try to arrest children for drinking in milwaukee like so it was a amazing cat and mouse but one of the amazing advantages to milwaukee was there's this festival called Summerfest, which i'm sure you're familiar with yep but to people who don't know it's basically just you know uh 
it for whatever reason got a following as a cool Midwest festival. And so most bands that were popular over the course of three years would hit it at some point. And so you really had access to tons of shows. Um, so I was able to go to see amazing. I mean, I remember I saw Danzig open for Metallica. Yeah. I saw, um, by the way, my first concert was Weird Al opening for the monkeys, but that's irrelevant. Um, <laughs> I saw Soundgarden. Um, I saw, I, uh, I saw, I mean, that, uh, there, there's also a lot of other venues. I saw Green Day, but they only played like a third of a show because uh, literally a water bottle hit Billy Joe in the face and he goes, fuck Milwaukee. And he walked <laughs> <laughs> and we were all like, for like 10 minutes, everyone was processing. Like, like is it done? <laughs> is it over? It feels very, it, I don't think he's coming back. Um, but no, it was, but that was, again, that was all an extension of, uh, Nirvana, but the access was great. Also, I mean, my brother, like in a band, I was put in multiple situations that were different for a teenager, you know, where I would be hanging out with my brother's band. I would be backstage. I would, you know, be in the audience watching my brother play and shit like that. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was great. A small, as in many ways in Milwaukee, a smaller scene, but really one that that seemed to get everything you wanted. You know, oh, it, it, well, that that era of Wisconsin is is all good. I mean, I, I'm sorry yeah. that, that 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 state wants to storm the Capitol as a as a state. Uh, <laughs> it's, things have changed, but um, it's a different was, energy now. <laughs> that was a great time. After going through a series of drummers, the band settled on drummer Chad Channing. Nirvana released its first single, a cover of Shocking Blues' Love Buzz, in November of 1988 on Seattle's indie label Sub Pop. In December of 1988, the band began recording its debut album with local producer Jack Andino. And that album was finally released in June of 89. Bleach was influenced by the Melvins, Mudhoney, and Black Sabbath. The money for the recording sessions for Bleach, a whopping $606.17, was supplied to the band by Jason Everman, who was subsequently brought into the band as a second guitarist. Prior to the album's release, Nirvana became the first band to sign an extended contract with Seattle's Sub Pop Records. Soon after the Bleach tour and Ever Everman's departure from the band, Nirvana began working on their next album with producer Butch Vig at Smart Studios in Madison, Wisconsin. Also around this time, Cobain and Nova Selich became disenchanted with Channing's drumming, and Channing expressed frustration at not being able to be involved in the songwriting. As bootlegs of the demos with Vig began to circulate in the music industry and draw attention from major labels, Channing left Nirvana. In September of 1990, Buzz Osborne of the Melvins introduced the band to drummer Dave Grohl, whose DC band Scream had just broken up. Grohl auditioned for Nova Selich and Cobain days after arriving in Seattle. Nova Selich later said, We knew in two minutes that he was the right guy, he was the right drummer. Grohl later told Britain's Q magazine, I remember being in the same room with them and thinking, What? That's Nirvana? Are you kidding? Because in their record cover, they look like psycho lumberjacks. I was like, what, that little dude and that big motherfucker? You're kidding me. <laughs> ah, so much information, but we got a Wisconsin angle on By there, the way, which Q I Magazine love. is probably having a tough time holding on to their demographic right now. They're like, <laughs> we're music. We're music. <laughs> like, yeah, Dave Grohl is the devil. Um, that is a lot, but that's so interesting. I didn't know they recorded it in Madison. Butch Vig. Um, 
Butch is amazing. I mean, that I can't remember what documentary goes deep into the recording of the album, but you know, when you see when Butch Fig telling the stories about how they were recording and Cobain's reticence to having his lyrics layered, his, his, his vocals layered, and he just kept saying to him, John Lennon did it. John Lennon, he'd be like, okay, like he just went every argument, but John Lennon did it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean it. It's so crazy. He well, Madison's had, the best. Ma- Madison, the best, is, is the best. Madis- Madison, an amazing town. Yeah, we, my, I almost my... don't want to tell people how good Madison is because, Matt, like, it is so. It is such a great city. It still is a sweet spot. Well, one of the one of the highlights. I think I mentioned this on the podcast before, but one of the highlights for me in college was driving up to Madison. This is like eighty eight, eighty nine, maybe to see Soul Asylum when they were amazing at the Student Union. Oh, wow. And beers in the student union were like, you know, 25 cents. Yeah, right. And it was just mayhem. I mean, there's no drinking like Madison no. drinking. No. Halloween, uh, Harvest Fest, you know. No, it is. <laughs> it's, it's it's something about the cold. It really, I don't know what it does. It sort of like deactivates part of your like, where you're like, I should lift weights. And then someone's like, do you want to drink vodka? And you're like, I'll drink vodka. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, they, I was, I, there's a great, amazing club, maybe the best club in the country is comedy on state in Madison. Oh. And, uh, I had been, I had been freshly vaccinated and I was like, okay, I feel good about going out. And, uh, man, I was like, these bars have not stopped. It is the same. I mean, it was like, it was like, if you were like, if you were to COVID, people would be like, what? (laughs) Corona? They'd be like, what Corona? You'd be like, no, the fucking, oh my God. Um, it was just all systems go, but it is it is a great city. Okay, so wait, did you go? Was that last year or was it this? Yeah, 2021? that would have been last year. That Holy would have been twenty one, probably. Yeah, probably like spring of twenty one, something like that. And do, does the comedy crowd in Madison? I mean, they're just there to drink anyway, right? <laughs> I think that's a. I think that's for everywhere. Anywhere. It's like dinner. It's like, you're just here to, hey, we'll have some more bread. <laughs> are you a special export person or are you an old style person? I'm very simple. I'm more, way more old style. I honestly, it's like, I, I the only thing I would ever be like, I don't love it would be like an IPA, but like, I still will have it. I mean, you. I really, I really, to a fault, have no clue what is it's it's actually very convenient because and economical because since i don't know what is good i can just basically go with what is cheapest but in milwaukee or, or madison or wisconsin i'll drink spotted cow that is my number one uh beer uh, that i always go to there is that a craft brewery in wisconsin it it must be it's new glaris is the company and they you cannot get the beer outside of Wisconsin, which has been such an amazing marketing tool because they sell it at the airport, which is, again is amazing for in Milwaukee to be like. But I've done it. Well, you will like you'll have your carry on and you'll have a twelver and there's no. other people. Yeah, like they'll be like in the overhead bin. Make sure your luggage and your beer doesn't move about too much. If you have your new glars under your seat, you may have six, but that is our limit for the flight. Oh my god. Yeah, they don't give a. F- so they just. But it is. So such a, I don't, I can't, it's hard to explain how good that beer is, but it's like people 
Yes, but comic would co- you know comics are coming from Illinois and they'll be like, oh yeah, yeah I'm gonna take twelve of these bets. Like people are smuggling this shit. Well, spotted cow, what's your problem? Do you not want to make money? Do you Pay? not want to go <laughs> but national? We're about the, but it's like it, it's true. It is like get, just sell it everywhere. <laughs> but then they would be paying distribution costs and all the you know all the. Instead, they're just like, if you want it, you gotta come here. They're like the they're like the good weed dealer, <laughs> like in another state where you're like, look, he's we gotta go to his even if he's just. <laughs> going to be lifting weights all day we got to go to his i uh the cultural alcoholism of wisconsin yeah. um a documentary needs to be made about it because it really is when i it's I called american Ho- movie <laughs> oh, right. i called him no, called no. him called him and mike on christmas day like 1999 or 2000 or whenever the fuck that came out uh called mike shank of course like an <laughs> like a little asshole hey man what's going on not much. Hey, Happy yeah. Christmas. Merry Christmas, dude. Okay. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I did that. Um, but no, the cultural alcoholism of Wisconsin is something to be marveled at. I remember I would, you know, I had gone to college from Albuquerque, New Mexico, in Chicago, and I went to Halloween 1986 in Madison, and I had never in my life, I had never seen anything like that at all. I mean, a oh, yeah. hundred. 50,000 19 to 22 year olds just vomiting in the streets. No. It's a lawless. It's it somehow is still a fairly like college lawless town in that way that it yeah. is still sort of somehow preserved in amber or something that they are still like public vomiting is not frowned upon like pissing, you know, women pissing on the street is like she had to go. You know. What are like you know just like there just seems to be like this understanding that it is it is just kind of held in the pocket like you know the the people change the styles change the the culture changes but there's still everyone is getting shit canned <laughs> it's everybody and then the the the, the late night eating the oh, late, <laughs> there was I'm this. not kidding I put on eight pounds if I do I'm not kidding you. I was just, there's another club in Appleton called the Skyline. Uh-oh. I mean, you can't, Uh-oh. <laughs> you just can't find, th- like, you'll just be like, do you have a salad? And they'll be like, no, I don't carry salad. Do you want a calzone? You're like, uh, yeah, it's just, uh. I literally went and met my, my father and my little sister out at a bar. I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> and I met them out at a regular bar. And I was like, there's really, I could have french fries. That is the only thing on this menu besides a salad that I can actually have, you know. <laughs> Because there's a gyro wrapped in cheese or something like that. Yeah, and it's and like they they will they'll be like, oh, we don't mention we put bacon on it. It's obvious. You're like, right, all right. I just have these this thing I'm trying to do over here. But okay, thank you. I'll pick around these miniature bits. Let's open up. Um, let's open up a restaurant in Los Feliz. It's called Eau Claire. Oh. And, we'll, and and we will just it's, it'll just be beers and brats. Yeah, uh, brats made in beer. Yes, uh, beer gyros. Uh, the the Teddy Wedger, the pastry stuffed with meat Ugh. and potatoes, <laughs> and cheese curds. It's it's a cold people food. It's just it's, well, it you need really that. Is. You need that, right? You need that bread layer. on everything. <laughs> everything you cannot get a thing without bread. You know what I was saying when I was there doing shows that I was like, this is not normal. I just want to let you people know it's not normal. Normally, if you order food from a restaurant. And you pick it up, or you get if you order breakfast and you ask for wheat toast. Normally, they let you figure out your own butter situation. <laughs> there, it's an absolute given, and they butter your toast like they're your mommy. 
So you just get, and you're just like, the he-, and you're like, it's absolutely delicious, obviously. <laughs> but it is dripping. So you're just like, I just wanted like a thing to help the eggs. And they're like, here's another meal. <laughs> you need dripping. that layer. You need the layer of fat to deal with the cold. It's a given. <laughs> they're like, if you wanted something that wasn't French toast, you should have said wheat. French toast is toast here. Can you please explain, before I move on to more Nirvana information from Wikipedia, can you please explain the Mars Cheese Castle to the audience listening today? I don't think they could explain the Mars Cheese Castle. They basically, you know, you know when you, like, live in a city and you drive past things and there's just some, like, someone, it's like, I think this is in Milwaukee, someone, it's called the Smiley Barn. Someone just painted a smiley face on their barn. You just know it. Everyone would go, you know, it's past the Smiley Barn, you'd be like, oh, so Kenosha, okay. Okay, yeah, gotcha. Um, and that basically happened with a place called Mars Cheese Castle. And it's just called Mars Cheese Castle. It's got this big dumb mouse. And it's just, it's what it's like, it's like the tourist spot. If you want to get like cheese pun bumper stickers or Packers attire, or you want cheese curds or what, and they've expanded. It is now like a monster. It's now, a lot of people say it's larger than Mars. And it is, it's just full of all Wisconsin things. And it's every time I dri- I go there, I drive by it. And I'm like, oh, I got to swing by there. <laughs> and just, like, find a bunch of stuff that I'm like, oh, this will be good for a landfill in five years. Yeah, get this. You know? But just buy tons of shit that just is useless. But it, it so it's just become one of this cultural hub for whatever reason. It's fucking amazing. Yeah, it really is. And you just go in there, and it's just it's just like, you know, John Wisconsin barfed in a store. Disenchanted with Sub Pop and the sessions with Bush Big generating interest, Nirvana decided to look for a deal with a major record label since no indie label could buy the group out of its contract. Following repeated recommendations by Sonic Youth's Kim Gordon, Nirvana signed to Geffen in 1990. After signing, the band began recording its first major label album. That's never mind. The group was offered a number of producers but held out for their guy Butch Vig. Rather than record at Vig's Madison studio, production shifted to Sound City in Van Nuys. Initially, Geffen was hoping to sell 250,000 copies of Nevermind, the same level of indie rock success they achieved with Sonic Youth's Goo. However, the first single, Smells Like Teen Spirit, quickly gained momentum, boosted my major airplay of the video on MTV. By Christmas in 1991, Nevermind was selling 400,000 copies a week in the U.S. alone. In January of 1992, the album displaced Michael Jackson's Dangerous at number one on the Billboard album charts. The album eventually sold over 7 million copies in the U.S. and 30 million records worldwide. Nirvana's sudden success was credited for popularizing alternative rock and ending the dominance of hair metal. Mm. Oh, yeah. Insufferable Brendan Smith living at 1339 North Ogden Drive in Hollywood at this time. That album was just, that's just the soundtrack of our life at that time. Uh, quick, my favorite memory of Nirvana's, never mind, there are many. My One of my early shitty jobs in L.A. I was the happy hour 
uh, and Ladies Night DJ at Denim and Diamonds in Santa Monica. This is fantastic. Uh, again, news. I was Sonic Youth guy. I was Husker Du guy. I was replacements <laughs> guy. But a friend of mine from Chicago was the manager of their bar. And he's like, dude, I'll give you a job. You can be the DJ at this place. And all I had to do was play the top 40 country hits and call out the line dances and say something like, hey, we got wow. tickets for the Super Bowl party coming up on Sunday. Don't forget to go see Gina at the A bar. Tickets on sale now. Hey, for you the next like, 10 minutes, Miller Lights on sale for $2. Hey, we got like a boot scootin' brothers. Oh, yeah. We, we got a boot scootin' boogie coming up, a walking walk toosie, and a tush push. Here's Clint oh, no. Black. Oh, yeah. So, but I was allowed to play. The cops breaking. There's no tush pushing allowed in this town. You want a tush push? You can go to Nevada. I wish. Oh, I wish. This place was on the corner of 30th and Ocean Park in Santa Monica. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I think Great it's spot. a bank building. But at the time, it was the number one line dance bar in Southern California. Bar that was written about in papers. It's where all the country music fans would come uh, to, to line dance. So wow. a- achy breaky. I had to play achy breaky Ugh. twice an hour. Um, uh, but I was allowed to play one pop song an hour. Which was I'm more... gonna do achy breaky. I'm it's really get, it's hitting me. Let's do a third achy breaky, gang. One more round. <laughs> so, the the usually what they wanted, what the crowd wanted me to play was like Daisy Dukes or Whoop, there it is, or like a you know. A <laughs> this ch- is really right. So one night I cleared the dance floor with Smells Like Teen Spirit. Oh, like sure, completely not one person. What can uh, we do with our boots doing this? <laughs> They were not happy. The manager almost fired me on the spot, uh. but uh, I was—I wanted to hear it cranked on the 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 club's massive uh, sound system. Yeah, right. Uh, of course. So, anyway, yeah. but my my shtick was I would wear like a a Chili Peppers T-shirt or a Fishbone shirt with the cowboy hat. Anyway, sort of undercover cowboy. Do you have any recol- uh, any any memories of the Nevermind album for you? Well, it was the. Second, well, I bought two, my first two CDs that I ever bought were uh, the Black Album Metallica and Nirvana Nevermind. Yeah. And um, so, I mean, you know, there was, I, it's, my brother talks about this with vinyl when he's, you know, there was something so precious about owning this thing. And, um, it really was like CDs were so fucking new that I was like, holy shit. And it just was, I mean, I, I just didn't stop listening to it. It from beginning to end completely. And even now, honestly, like when I throw that album on, I'll get addicted to it and listen to the whole thing for a couple of weeks, just still going like, wow. And then take two years away and then go back and just go, holy, this is really like, even the song, even the down songs are just, Killers. Um, so I don't know if I have a specific, you know, it was it was just, again, it was like I fucking grew my hair longer. I wore flannel. Like, I was all in, just like many people my age or, you know, around our time. Yeah. Um, you know, it just, the influence was so great. I think there was, to what you're saying, like, you know, hair bands were the thing, and it just kicked open the door to a new era and i think it was so refreshing and so it just totally took hold i mean y- you don't really get that anymore and i even think then people would say like you know you'll never see anything like the beatles again which is true because they you know that was just different but this in a way was like there was a voice to a generation of people that were fucking pissed off or just whatever angsty and it just 
it just kind of nailed it. So I don't know. It, it kind of coincides with my appreciation of like, you know, I was listening to tapes before that, you know, <laughs> those are <laughs> a little more annoying. Um, and uh, so it was just, it was epic. I mean, it was just, it was amazing. You know? Well, we, we, my friends and I got here in the fall of 1990. So the, the hair metal thing, the sunset strip was oh, you still were the rainbow. Yep. And just- yep. From the Roxy to the Rainbow, the Gazaris was still open. Uh, there was a club called the Coconut Teaser on the corner of Sunset and Crescent Heights. That had been around for a while. Cheese metal. It was all dudes trying to be Warrant, trying to be right. Poison, po- right. uh, you know, try, uh, trying to be Tesla. And it, it, Nirvana just came along and just... Just, yeah. just killed it. Just, yeah. just killed it. Yeah, um, we but, needed that politically. What you just said—if we could have the political version of that, it would be fantastic. Just, just something that's just like, sorry, it doesn't work anymore. Bye. Uh, I wish. I know. I, I realize just by, based on the current climate and the way things, the country, the way the country is going. I know your 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 boy would agree with me, Dave. Um, I can probably never leave Beechwood Canyon. I'm not sure if I can go south of Pico ever again in my life. I think well, I'm finally boxed in. Uh, I'm trapped here forever. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good place to be trapped. That's a good. That's a good. Uh, that's a good road you're on. Yeah, that's. I can't go anywhere now. You can go to your little weird that little weird market where they have a restaurant next door. <laughs> go there, get a turkey sandwich. You know, I'm, I'm. As we're talking, I'm mad that Nirvana did not stick to their original guns. And and see the Creedence Clearwater Revival tribute band thing to its inevitable end. It's just basically, you know, Jim Carrey like could have made money as Rubber Face just doing facial impressions, but then he's like, I want to be an actor. It's that version where it's like, buddy, there was some guy who's like, look, I know you have ambition, but your Creedence stuff is amazing. Stick with what is working. You're a Creedence band. You'll always be a Creedence band, and you're lucky to be a Creedence band. Trust me, Kurt. And you, Chris. Chris. Christ. Chris. Anyway. It's Chris. Anyway. Uh, they would still be playing. Maybe Kurt would still be alive, you know? <laughs> I, they, 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 I mean, define alive, but he, his body would be moving. Right, sure. But, you know, they might be playing at the Canyon <laughs> Club in Agora Hills, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. All right, Midnight Special for the 8,000th time. <laughs> but that's a good gig if you can get it now. I'm obsessed with I'm obsessed with the Southern California tribute band scene. Oh, <laughs> I, I wish my job was to name tribute bands. I would, I would just smoke the biggest joint, and just sit there all day, you know, <laughs> just keep coming up with. But, them. but, sir, we're Fascination Street. That's working for us. I think that no, that's okay. no, no. It's not a pun. I'm not loving it. It's not a pun. I'll get back to you, boys. You just hang in there. Uh, on gonna... sun, uh, people should know on Sunday nights uh, during normal times in Woodland Hills, they have free tribute bands in the giant park near Warner Center. So you get the Australian Bee Gees. Uh, you, you get uh, the Journey the tribute. The JBs. <laughs> See what I mean? I'm being wasted. That's that's why are they the JBs? Uh. Australian Bee Gees is horrible. JBs. <laughs> Terrible. You idiots. Um, of course, Led Zeppelin again. One of the like many it. Led Zeppelin like tribute bands, but. Uh, you know, Nirvana, the sellouts, you fucking assholes. Yeah. Well, also, they, they had some better names, too. I mean, some of the names you read were pretty great. Yeah. He, was, he was still so good at marketing. He Even though, like, he was this, like, amazingly talented musician who just, you know, obviously was a great songwriter, he was also so, like, marketing smart. You know, the way that he knows what will be popular 
um, just was also just an innate skill to do that. You know, like there's a lot of people be like, yeah, I want to have a dark, scary name. He was like, no, let's cut, you know, cut that with Nirvana. Yeah, but well, ba- band names for me, I'm obsessed with band names too. I mean, I, I think the greatest band name of all time is Van Halen. And yeah. it's, even though it's a it's a last name, but yeah. in, in its simplicity, it's just fucking amazing. You know, I don't know how a bunch of dudes leave a room deciding to be Ugly Kid Joe. Ugh. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I don't know how you yeah. arrive at that decision unless it's just steeped in so much weed that you can't think past that moment. You know what That's I mean? That's probably that. Um, <laughs> by the way, I remember listening to a lot of Ugly Kid Joe. And what's great about Van Halen, too, is you basically have made a CEO of the band, and he very much acted as such. It was like, well, unfortunately, the band's called Van Halen, so I don't know what you're going to do. Take care, David. <laughs> Sammy, uh, we're ready to close this up. You know, it's just like... <laughs> Here at Van Halen Company, the sponsor of Van Halen. <laughs> what else should I be? For their third record, Nirvana chose producer Steve Albini, who had a reputation as a principled and opinionated dude in the American indie music scene. Albini and Nirvana recorded the album in February of 1993 at Pachyderm Studios in Cannon Falls, Minnesota. It took two weeks to record this record for a grand total of $25,000. In Utero was released in September of 1993 and topped the American and British album charts. Though Geffen Records was initially terrified that In Utero did not have any hits, the album went on to sell over 5 million copies in the U.S. alone. That October, Nirvana embarked on a huge tour of the United States, and for that tour, the band added Pat Smear from the Germs to the band as their second guitarist in utero. I, I, before we move on, I want to share my last great um, Wisconsin memory with you, because you will get it. Monsters of Rock, Alpine Valley, summer of 1989. It's Van Hagar, Scorpions, Dokken, Kingdom Come, and Metallica. Wow. So people listening to the podcast know that Alpine Valley is where the metalheads from Chicago and Milwaukee meet to either party together or do battle. And uh, I was standing in line. I'll never forget the standing in line at the concession during Kingdom Come, because who gives a shit about Kingdom Come? And like this perfect Hesher from maybe the suburbs of Milwaukee, this like junky thin kid with long black hair was just standing right in front of me. And I had never seen someone die. Yeah, like he just collapsed. Just God knows what he'd been doing all day, you know, drinking liquid plumber or whatever. And he just collapsed, you know, as if someone had shot him. And no one moved a muscle to help that poor young (laughs) dude. Take his wallet. (laughs) Yeah. I've been to Alpine Valley to see shows. I I just feel like there's nothing around it other than the the, the place to go listen to music. No. I feel like that it's just like its own like it's basically it's like a mecca essentially. 
Um, uh, my, I have a couple, uh, that, uh, my favorite Alpine Valley memory is that the first time I ever took mushrooms uh-huh. was at Alpine Valley <laughs> for the Tibetan freedom concert. Yes. And, um, and so my friends and I had driven a bus, we drove a bus down, like not like we rented a van, yeah. like my friend had like a school bus and we drove like a, I don't know how a lot of these things happened. I was like younger than most of the people. So I was just going like, let's get on the bus. And, um, you know, they're putting out the stop thing over like the railroad tracks and shit like that. You're going like, we're tripping. So maybe not the best idea. Um, but we got there and we had a keg. And, uh, and we had a keg outside of the bus, and we were just drinking, and we were tripping, and then we, we were like, all right, let's go in and finally see the show. And uh, because it was the Tibetan Freedom Concert, they are like, there's no alcohol served inside. And we were all like, ooh, that is a bad <laughs> update we just got out here. So we sat in the parking lot, and like, we missed a lot of great, <laughs> lot of great bands, you know, because it was a hell of a lineup. But, I mean, we made it for a mate, but we really were like, we took an extra, like, three hours in the parking lot when we heard that. You know, you you very like when it comes to beer in Wisconsin, it's like, you know, if it's bar time or whatever, you load up like the camel getting ready for the desert march. You're just like as much water as possible for what? the hump. <laughs> what, so was we the, just, what was the top age of the person in that group? I mean, it felt like 30, probably 22. <laughs> I was like, our grown up leader. I was I must have been. I mean, yeah, I was probably 18. Oh, my God. Yeah. How did you not die? You know, there are so many times where I'm like, how did I not die? I just had no concept of anything. Of anything. I mean, I just can't imagine. I honestly can't imagine if I had any plan other than like, okay, I'll go there. And then I was there like, where do I live? You know, it's like, man, this guy's not ready for the world. Well, because your driver probably took a half a handful of mushrooms. Not yeah. a full not a full dose, but not some got there. No, I definitely remember the drive back being like, who can do it? Okay. okay Who's good. ready to drive? <laughs> well, someone needs to step up. I was like, this is not a good conversation for a school bus driver to have. <laughs> You're not driving a fucking mini. This is a bus. <laughs> oh. um, was that were the Beastie Boys on that? Beastie on Boys were on uh-huh. that. Yep. Who else was on that? Who else did you uh, miss? Run DMC, uh-huh. uh, Rage Against the Machine. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was fucking amazing. I mean, I was tr- so we saw them, and then yeah, outside of that, I don't really. I mean, you know, there's. There were definitely other people, but we were probably like, Sean Lennon? Eh, let's drink another beer. You know what I mean? We could probably do a couple more beers. Let's put him on on the drive back. We'll listen to some Sean Lennon. Oh, my God. I, I have uh, participated in the Grateful Dead at Alpine Valley as well. Oh, there you go. And well, that's, I mean, totally Christ. Yeah, I can only imagine. <laughs> Just... Oh, deadheads yeah. descending on southern Wisconsin for three uh, to four Well, that days. was the first time I saw a nitrous tank, and I didn't know what it was. I just walked by it, and I was like, that man's doing helium. People are like, keep going, kid. I was like, why does he? Let's get balloons for the show. They're like, no, buddy. No, 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 no. <laughs> you keep walking. We passed upon the stairs. In November of 1993, Nirvana recorded a performance for MTV Unplug, augmented by Pat Smear and uh, cellist Lori Goldston. Nirvana broke convention for the show by choosing not to play their best-known songs. Instead, they performed several covers of songs by artists like Bowie and the Vaselines, and they invited the Kirkwood brothers of the Meat Puppets to join them for three Meat Puppet songs. The program aired on MTV that December, and the album was released in November of 94, debuting at number one. 
In early 1994, Nirvana embarked on a European tour. On the morning of March 4th, 1994, Cobain's wife, Courtney Love, found Cobain unconscious in their hotel room in Rome, and he was rushed to the hospital. Cobain had overdosed on rohypnol and alcohol. The rest of the tour was canceled. In the ensuing weeks, Cobain's heroin addiction resurfaced. Following an intervention, Cobain was persuaded to enter drug rehab. After less than a week, he left the facility without informing anyone and returned to Seattle. One week later, on April 8, 1994, Cobain was found dead of a self-inflicted shotgun wound to his head. Nirvana is one of the best-selling bands of all time, having sold more than 75 million records worldwide. In 2004, Rolling Stone named Nirvana as one of the 100 greatest artists of all time, and they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in their first year of eligibility. That was 2014, a downer, the end of Nirvana, mm. and the end of, uh, well, you know, that was, a, that was another huge, that was like Gen X's weird, like the day Martin Luther King was shot or something, you know? That was yeah, people was, crying. Oh, it was brutal. I mean, I was I was certainly like shaken by that. My mother was talking about that the other day, you know, um, because my niece has just gotten into Nirvana and she loves them. You know, it's amazing. You really are like when these. Does she know the story? Does your niece yeah. know the story? Oh, yeah, she does. she's okay. old enough to know. Yeah. Okay. She, she's getting into them at like the age that I got into them, and like she's starting to kind of dress a little more. You know, it's cool because I'm like I get it. Um, you need to go to Alpine Valley, my dear. Go that way. Um, but uh, no, it was it was crazy. I mean, I actually saw them on the In Utero tour, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it was like obviously fucking it made my life. And I remember realizing after very shortly after how important it was that I had gone to that because, yeah, I mean. You thought you never thought like this is it, you know. I mean, not much like you do with any, you know, probably with Hendrix, where you know you just are like you're seeing someone musically at their peak. And even when you said the thing about them not thinking that there were hits on that album, what's remarkable is that you know you had it's all when you when you're a stand up and you have this material you've been working on as a feature and MC for 10 years, and then it's time to record your album. I mean, my, my album is like, you know, all these things that I'd worked on for years and years and years, and then just kind of put together the list in the order that I wanted and whatever, and then worked on that. And then you have to work on your new hour. And then you're starting pretty much from scratch. And it's such a different experience because partially... It's very difficult because it's all new, but it's also liberating because there's you know there's nothing you have to do anymore, and there is something about and you, not to compare my lounge act to uh, Nirvana, <laughs> but but there is something about you know in utero is very similar in the sense that there's not a lot on there that I don't want to hear. Like it is pretty much just an enjoyable listen. And there are so many bangers on there as well. You know, it's a heavier album, which is probably why they were a little nervous, but it's also, I mean, I think very close to as good as that. And it's new. So it was sort of like, and you, you know, the conversation that was going on about like rape me. And when he had to kind of redefine what he was trying to say with that song and explain that it was actually, you know, in the, it it was a, a song to, demean and demonize rapists and people were shocked by that you know he was someone who was speaking out for people in ways that it was not 
in vogue to have a musician say, you know, if you are abusive to women, don't ever come to one of our fucking shows. We hate you. You know, yeah, he was saying that sort of shit. Especially after uh, 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 a dozen or so years of Girls, Girls, Girls yeah, and right. Cherry Pie totally. yeah. and, and Motley Crue and Rats and all that stuff. Here's my Rape Me story. Yeah, um, here's a guy who just really wanted, like, actual love, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it was just, it was so different than bands just wanting to fuck. It was like a guy who just wanted to be, like experience love and be liked in many ways because he didn't grow up feeling it well here's my uh here's my rape me story i was a pa on i guess this would have been the 1993 mtv music awards wow um I is was, that bass toss that's bass toss wow that was bass toss but there's a better nirvana story my job was to drive the crew of mtv brazil around la for a week <laughs> And they were they were staying at the Mimazon Hotel, and uh, the the that award show was at Poly Pavilion and on the campus of UCLA. Um, and so during the day, the crew would go to Poly Pavilion and just try to grab interviews with whoever they could, uh, you know, under the band, M- MTV umbrella. Right, right, right. So we were in the arena when Nirvana was sound checking, and they played "Rape Me." And there weren't many people there, but I remember the whole Pearl Jam band sitting in the stands, not close, like almost on the other side of the arena. It was just the group. It was just the five dudes from Pearl Jam at the time, like there. And they're, you know, dressed in their shorts and their long, the leggings and the whole mm-hmm. fucking thing. And when he started, when Kurt Cobain started playing Rape Me, there was full-blown panic on oh, the floor of Poly Pavilion because all the MTV executives were terrified that he was going to play it that night. Ugh. And there was there was all this discussion about are they going to get yanked or how, who's going to tell Kurt Cobain you can't do this. Yeah. And I think if I remember correctly, and I haven't looked at the I'm sure it's on the video, I think he started to play wow. the chords of Rape Me just before they lo- just to fuck with, uh, you know, on air. Um, but yeah, that, that was amazing. That's the musical power he had was, I mean, you know, also like, again, I mean, I think part of the reason why I felt so connected to the music, the band and the guy was because you would just in real time be seeing him on like top of the pops in England where they force you to not play your instruments and it's just the singer sings and they were so like fuck this that he just sings in a deep voice smells like teen spirit and it aired it was on and it was just i remember seeing it just being like i mean this guy just doesn't give a fuck and when you see someone you know when you're so used to people playing the game and then you see someone who won't play it you it didn't even occur to me as an option that was like the first real-time rebellion i'd seen in pop culture in any way and it was just so addictive. Oh, well, I, I, so addictive that this asshole uh, quit slash was fired before the actual show. That the, night? M- that night, because I wanted to be in the crowd to watch everyone up close. I wanted uh. to see, because uh, Def Leppard was on that, that show, which was kind of fun. The Black Crows were on that show, which was kind of fun. Pearl Jam, Nirvana. So I was like, fuck this. You know, because I, you know, I was fully immersed in that whole. I, I, I support that decision. Yeah, I think thank that was you. The right decision, but yeah. you also, 
that bass toss, that story is so goddamn funny yeah. where Novoselic is just like, you know, he just decides he's going to try one of his huge bass toss. I mean, you alluded to this. This dude is, in, I mean, he's what, six, seven? He's yeah. tall. He's a big, yeah. big dude. So he takes his bass and he's sort of like, you know, that Scottish log toss event. <laughs> who, who, I mean, Jesus Christ, guys, let's not, you know, let's get a racket involved. But they still do it where they, they just basically from their groin toss a log over their shoulder. He just la- bass launches like one of those logs, his bass. And he's going to try to catch it and probably start playing it soon after. But it's toward, it's pretty much right at the end. And he does the toss and it just bit the Base of the base cracks his head. He drops, and he's on the floor, concussed, bloodied, and Cobain misses the base toss part and just looks over and thinks he's doing a bit. So he kicks him in the ass, like, come on, man, let's get going. And the dude's like, I'm dying. He's like, come on, you jackass, let's get on stage. I was there. I was there in the crowd. I was there with with my friend Fish and my friend Shelly. It was great. Uh, Fucking amazing. What a great night. Um, the last thing I wanted to say, because I've been thinking about this a lot, you know, I saw the Foo Fighters back in, well, late August, because I got COVID at the Foo Fighters show. Oh, wow. Oh, uh, right. I remember that at the Hollywood Bowl. At the, uh, I remember a, when you got COVID. Yeah. There. Thank you. Um, a lot of and, us are talking about it. And <laughs> I, the, I, I was thinking like, you know, we wouldn't have, I'm a fan. I, I'm just going to say I love the Foo Fighters. I love Dave Grohl. The guy can do no wrong. The trailer for Studio 666 looks fucking amazing. Yeah. You know, he's the king of Gen X. He gets to hang with McCartney. He gets to hang with Jagger. He gets to do whatever he wants. And I have not no problem with that um, because I think he's awesome. And I don't think that there's Foo Fighters without, you know, Nirvana coming to, you know, its inevitable end. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think, you know, there was, I think, this idea that he should just be widowed. <laughs> uh, and um but the truth is, he wrote the song Marigold. It was a B-side on, uh, I forget which Nirvana album, but it was its own single, and it was a Dave Grohl single. And I remember hearing it, thinking it was Kurt Cobain. And then I remember reading the liners and seeing, oh, it was Dave Grohl. And I really was like, holy shit, like that is, it, it's a very chill, simple song. But, you know, he was a really good musician. And, and I think you're right. I think in a way, like, I find some comfort in the sense that, you know, that guy was able to keep going and has been so prolific Um, because he really has been. I think that band doesn't get its credit. I'm not like, listen, I don't have every Foo Fighter album or anything, but you can still go. I mean, this dude is still has good riffs, writes deep lyrics. I mean, really has, you know, Hero is about Cobain, um, can you know, can play so many different instruments. And, you know, I remember watching him, I the I started listening to Queens of the Stone Age because Dave Grohl was their drummer uh, for No One Knows. And, you know, there is something. He's a bit of a, you know, a musical chameleon in so many ways. And, and he's still funny and seems like a decent dude. So I think it's like, it's a shame because obviously, you know, it'd be amazing to see what Kurt Cobain is doing now. But I think there is something to the idea that, you know, you do get to live on through it a little bit, a slice of it through Dave Grohl, who, when you do listen to the drumming he did on those albums, I mean, you know, that is a big part of why that shit just rocks so hard. I mean, he is drumming. I mean, of course they knew in the first like two seconds that he was the guy. I mean, it's just, you know, you, you had animal on the drums, you know, he was just, he was a different energy and 
I feel bad for Chad. I've read stuff about Chad leaving the band. I'm sure he's just like, motherfucker. The, the, the Pete Best of the, of Nirvana. Totally. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Pete Worst, I call him. Uh, but he, but you do, you do get to have some sort of like, you know, connection still through the Foo Fighters and Dave Grohl. And yeah, I agree. I think he's just dope. Yeah. It, it, and their Foo Fighter shows are amazing. It's more rock than, yeah. the, than the punk rock. It's, he, he sort of carries the torch of like classic rock and metal and all kinds of stuff. But yeah. And he can he's play. Great. I mean, he just plays so many. I mean, they, you know, again, they just have meant, you know, you want heavy, they have it. You want like kind of a sweeter song, they have it. He brought the little girl, Nandy Bushel. I don't know if you've ever seen her on Twitter, the little British girl, the little 11 year old. Oh, right. I saw and, that. And he brought her out. And, and I swear to God, it's one of the biggest crowd reactions I've ever heard. The crowd was there for her and they fucking gave her a huge roaring ovation because she she fucking killed it. Yeah. She fucking stepped up. It was her moment in the sun and she fucking nailed it. But so we wouldn't be cool. talking about that if she pissed from like nerves. We'd be like, what an <laughs> asshole. Why would he do? She's too little. The spotlight's big, Dave. We're not all in the Foo Fighters. She's in therapy. Don't touch her. Don't even look at her. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, wow. oh, I, could, I just saw the whole thing fall apart on stage. <laughs> Dave, oh putting a blanket over. Oh Jesus Christ! What All a right. mean man, <laughs> dude, dude! Dude, I've kept you for an hour. It's time to wrap up. No, you said you'd pay me, so we're all good. Let's go. Let's go. I treat this like therapy. We're going an hour two now. We're technically an hour two, so I can send you a vintage Iron Maiden shirt. That can do that. Um, uh, is there anything you would like to promote? I mean, I think I think a few fans listen to this show, but is there anything you want to throw out there? Live uh, appearances yes. coming up, or sure, you know, I uh, I have I've furloughed temporarily uh, during the peak of Omicron. So, uh, but you can go to GarethReynolds.com because at the end of February I'll be going out again um, all over. I don't remember where, but go to GarethReynolds.com for that. Uh, if you have Australian listeners, like anybody who likes the GBs, um, we'll be in Australia. Uh, the Dollop will be doing a tour in April if you know, as long as society doesn't fall within itself, which is coming. Um, and, uh, and yeah, you can follow me on social media at Reynolds Gareth. I post a bunch of crowd work, up clips and all that shit. But, uh, but yeah, those are the main ones. Well, dude, I am so grateful for you, uh, sharing your immense talents, uh, with me today. I mean, you're the fucking best. You're the, so fucking funny. Um, well, I just wish I, you nothing but continued success. I don't know how you put up with, with Dave Anthony, but, um, you know, I get, it's, it's still working. trying to get out as every, <laughs> it's every day I get closer to my escape. You and Heather. I mean, what's your problem? <laughs> Both I, don't of know, you. I don't know. I mean, he's aggressive. I fear, I fear what he would do if I left. That's why I'm still in it. It's, you know how these relationships are. It's a nightmare. Save me. Uh, no, I really appreciate it, Brendan. It was an absolute pleasure. So okay, thank well, you for thank having you, me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and to the rest of you, thank you so much for liking, listening, subscribing. We've got some great guests coming down the pike. But of course, who could beat Gareth Reynolds? That's nobody, nobody. Uh, and of course, the Brando cast is produced by Mr. Richard Sheltinga. So until the next time, cats and kittens. Stop yourself without any words. I got so high, scratched till I bled. 